You are. We're in this series. It's going to be going for a, for a while now in, in the book of Ephesians. That's what we're looking at. So if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. If you didn't bring your Bible, lean forward, grab the one out of the back of the pew in front of you, and turn with me uh, to, to the book of Ephesians. That video, there is purpose behind that video. Yes, we've seen it for the past three weeks. Yes, we're bored with it already. But we still have, we're still talking about what it means to define who we are. Many of us, that's what we say, just like that video said. I'm the tallest one in my family. I'm the biggest one in my family. I'm the smallest one in my family. I'm the most academic. I'm very gifted athletically. I'm this. I'm that. I do this. I do that. And in our, in our Western mindset, that's exactly how we define ourselves. We define ourselves by what we do. We, we, we define ourselves by things that describe us. But that is not who we are as Christians, as Christ followers. It's not, and that's what we're trying to go over and just really cement in our minds because if we're not careful, we become who we say, we become what we do. Does that make sense? Today it's very critical that we understand this concept. I'm going to say it again. It is very critical that we understand that when we use things to define us by what we do, we become that. If I'm, if I define myself as a sinner, what am I? A sinner. Now, I've grown up in this. I've used this. You've heard me say this in here. And the more I'm into this Ephesians uh, study, the more challenged I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. There's truth to that, right? Am I still a sinner? Yes, you're human. You still sin. Yes, I got that. Is that my identity? Am I a sinner? That's what I want to look at today because in Ephesians, Paul says something differently. Paul says that we're saints. Paul says to the church of Ephesus, to the saints, and to the faithful in verse 1 there, which we're going to get to. But when we look at this, Paul works very hard as he communicates in the New Testament that we are different individuals, that we are created in God's identity, in God's image, that we are different individuals, that we are God's chosen, that we are, we are part of the elect, we're part of God's family. And on and on and on, Paul talks about this. Last week we talked about that where he says 216 times in Christ. Well, I'm a sinner. I'm in Christ. I'm done talking about being a sinner all the time because you know what? That's what gets me in the, in the rough spots to begin with. And the more I focus on being a sinner, the more that's what I do. I sin. Maybe we need to reshift our thinking to say we are in Christ. As Christ followers, we are now saints. It's kind of conflicting though because when you read throughout Scriptures some like 600 times or whatever, the Bible seems to talk, seems to indicate differently. Check out these these uh, uh, next few uh, verses here. In Genesis six five through six, it says, "The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain." Leviticus. If, in spite of this, you still do not listen to me, but continue to do hostile toward me, then in my anger I will be hostile toward you, and I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. God speaking through the prophet of Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalm 11, 
Verses 4 through 5, the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence his soul hates. Paul writes in Romans 2, 5, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Ephesians 2, 3, Paul says, by nature, children of wrath. Colossians 3, 6 promises the wrath of God is coming. And in Revelation, we read what's going to happen for the individuals that are still under the wrath of God. So when you kind of look at this, it's like, okay, what do, how do we view ourselves? I mean, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul says in Romans. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So the question becomes, how, how, how do we truly view ourselves? You know, how, how do we look at it? And, and some of us may say, you know what? This is something that, that we may that we look at and we see the dichotomy. We say, you know, I kind of struggle with this. Here's the, here's the other concept of this too. Morality is not determined by majority. It's determined by God. And so when we look at ourselves and we look at ourselves through the light of the Scripture, we need to truly see who we are regardless of what everybody else thinks. And there's a lot of churches nowadays that are going down the path where it says, you know, I, you know, we're going to preach, you know, Paul warns Timothy, there's going to be a day when you're going to hear messages that all it does is tickle your ears because we don't want to hear that we're human. We don't want to hear that we fall short of the glory of God. I want to be accepted. I don't want you to tell me that I'm still under the wrath of God, if I may be under the wrath of God, right? So there's, it goes back to that message we, set, we talked about a couple of weeks ago when it says, are we in the first Adam? Or are we in the second Adam? Are we still operating as Adam, the first Adam, where we're still living under the wrath of God? Or are we under the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, and through His blood, through His the price that He paid on the cross, we now have redemption. We now are reconciled back to God. For some, for some maybe sitting in here, and I hope not, but for some sitting in here, you're still under the wrath of God. These verses still pertain to you. If you... Don't love it if you don't reach out and grab a hold of that loving hand that God is extending you that's saying, I want you to be part of my family. You're going to experience the fullness of God's wrath someday. Others sitting in here this morning, if you have experienced that free gift of grace and salvation, you now no longer operate under the wrath of God. So today I want to talk about this. I want to talk about, you know, as, as Paul writes in Ephesians, he's writing to the saints. So how do we look at people? You know, how do we look at ourselves? Are we sinners under God's wrath or are we saints? And in Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, we get, we, we get the answer to this question and we get who we are as individuals that have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, just a little bit about Paul. Let's, just set, let's talk about him for a few minutes and then let's talk about Ephesus, the, the, which this letter was being written to, the church in Ephesus, and, and, and try to glean some context and some information from that. Um, not too long ago, we talked about Paul. We talked about this, this guy was an individual uh, in his former days before God. Remember we talked about God's uh, meta-narrative coming crashing down into our lives, uh, our six-foot perspectives at times. That's what happened to Paul. His name was Saul. And we, re- we read back in, in Acts that Saul was this guy who, were, who was pretty much part of the Jewish church and he was out to kill Christians. He was out to kill this movement of Jesus Christ. If you proclaimed and confessed and committed to the way of Jesus, you were hunted down by Paul. 
and you would be killed, literally physically killed. And so we read that this guy, at that time his name was Saul, we read about him going to the city of Damascus, the town of Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, he has this meta-narrative. He has this epiphany. He has this moment where God literally comes crashing down into his six-foot perspective, and he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And so Paul had, he's, Paul, and later on he would talk about being ushered up into heavens and seeing some things that he can't even describe. But as he has this moment, his life literally transforms. It shifts. It changes from being Saul, the persecutor of the church, to now Paul, a person that is out preaching passionately to people, calling out to people, saying, God loves you. God wants to have a relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. This guy now goes on three missionary journeys, which is not like our missionary journeys, but three missionary journeys where he is subjected to every type of of travesty in a sense. Um, He experienced being shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, going without food, being beaten, being stoned, being left for dead because they stoned him. All kinds of things that happened to this guy. To the point, and I think in our convenient little worlds, we would say, I don't know if God's in this anymore. Where we would look at it and say, I think I'm on the outside of God's will because everything's not going smoothly. But yet Paul subjected himself to this and he was so passionate about reaching people for Jesus Christ. And he goes and he plants churches. One of the churches he plants is the church in Ephesus, a city that was, um, and again, like I've said before, often I think we take the Bible, we kind of glamorize it in a sense, and kind of there's like this disconnect. Ephesus was a city that was much bigger than any city around here. Ephesus was a city that was located uh, right, on the, um, right on the ocean. Uh, it was a commerce city. This is where all the merchants came in with their goods. It was a city of, of just a lot of people and a lot of trade going on. It was also a city that was filled with demonic activity. They had the uh, Shrine of Dinah, I believe, that was there, and the Temple of Artemis. And so they literally, the city uh, lived off the economy of these false gods also, uh, which means when Paul went in and preached this message and challenged these idols to say that these are false gods that stop worshiping them, uh, when some did, it affected the economy. And so there they had to make a commitment that said, I can, I, I'm going to lose everything about my, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose everything that I've built up because it's been built in the, in the, in the, um, in, in the development of goods for these false gods. And so for them to commit to Jesus Christ was a huge ordeal. Uh, literally lost everything. And so Paul went in, and obviously what happens when you go into a city and challenge them and to say, hey, your livelihood that you're building on is wrong, you need to turn your backs on this, you need to go a different way, obviously it evoked a lot of anger. And so he was, again, persecuted and uh, put in prison and all these other things. But he developed a church there, and we believe that he stayed there for like three years or so and, de- and had this incredible relationship with the Ephesians. Later on in his life, he would be placed in prison, and from prison, prison he would write um, a large portion of his of his material from prison. So he, in the New Testament, to give it context, as we said before, thirteen of the twenty-eight letters he wrote, and so he's he's very much a a, a central figure of the New Testament. So Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, think about it, guys. Think about it. Let's say I'm thrown in prison. Some of you would probably applaud, right? And I take offense to that, by the way. But let's say I'm thrown in prison and I'm writing a letter to you and I'm, to the church and I'm saying, guys, 
dies. This is what God says. And so this is what happened there. Except it wasn't so much like our American world where if everything's not convenient, we just don't show up and go. These guys, was, they were very committed to the church. And even though Paul's presence wasn't there, this letter comes to them, this letter addressed to them from Paul, and, and it comes to their church, and so they assemble together, and an elder stands up, and he reads these words to the assembly. And so what do you think Paul's going to talk about? What is it that Paul's going to share? Where does he start? What's he going to talk about? Well, a couple of things that he talks about, which makes sense when we learn that Ephesus was a demonic uh, city. He's talking about the full armor of God. You're fighting a spiritual warfare. You need to clothe yourselves with this type of armor. You need to really protect your mind. You need to, to be very careful and diligent to study the Word because you're going to, you're going to be deceived because you're living in this type of environment. And so he... He goes in and talks about that. But what's very interesting is the very first part of this letter. In Ephesians 1, if you would look to uh, the very first verse of this letter, and, and, and it's so critical that we're going to spend, we're gonna spend uh, the, this ne- these next few moments just on a few words. But if you would look in the first, ch- the, uh, first chapter and look at, um, look at the very first verse, What he's doing is, he's establishing their identity. And just like I said before, it is extremely critical to him to establish their identity because what he's saying is this. He's saying you need to know who you are so that you will know what to do. You need to know who you are so that you will know what to do. It's not what you do that makes you who you are. That's backwards. That's flip-flop. That is a ploy of the enemy. But what he's saying is, you need to know your identity. Because when you get your identity set, it's literally going to change the trajectory of your life. Or it should. And that is the message for us today. And so he goes in and he starts talking to them about this whole concept of being a sinner or a saint. And in the very first verse, if you're looking, it says, to the what? You need to say it louder. To the... Saints to the saints, and so he's he's talking to the he's talking to the church, and he's saying to the saints who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm sure they had people there that were hungover. I'm sure they had people there that were that were doing things that, that you probably wouldn't label them as saints, right? Just like we have today in our churches, there are people that may not be saints yet. That you, there may be some of you sitting in here this morning, you haven't placed your faith and trust in Christ, you haven't completely surrendered your will over to Him, but He is addressing this church and He's saying, to the saints. To the saints. This is extremely critical as we look at our identity because the question becomes, as a Christian, do we still view ourselves as sinners or do we view ourselves as saints? That's a very critical question for us to answer. Because as I said, in what you believe about yourself will determine what you do or have very profound impact on what you do. If I constantly see myself as a sinner and I just identify myself as a sinner all the time, when I'm in the middle of temptation, chances are I can reason it out and say, well, I I guess I'm a sinner so I might as well just participate. But what about what if I really look at it and I say I'm a saint? I'm a saint in Jesus Christ. 
I am created in the image of Jesus Christ. I am a child of His. I have been adopted into the family of Jesus Christ. I am a saint. Doesn't that give a little bit different context or help us in making decisions a little bit differently? It should. It should give it much more weight. Now, there's going to be times as humans that we do sin. First John talks about that. If you do sin, hopefully you don't, but if you do sin, we have a just God that will forgive us if we confess our sins to Him. But as we're going to see, that's really becoming a little bit more of the minority than the majority. We are a saint. Now that's kind of foreign to us, isn't it? I mean, that's foreign to us. It's like we don't introduce ourselves that way, do we? It's like, hi, I'm Saint Doug McMullen. Hello, Saint Doug. I'm Saint Jeff Van Buren. That's a bad example, isn't it? That just took our message out. I am Saint. I mean, I'm Saint Eric Meyer. I'm Saint Brian Knopfsinger. You know, I am Saint Deanna Stalker. We don't, we, don't, we don't think that way. And I think part of the reason we don't think that way is because some of us come from a Catholic background or we come from a, a different mindset that says, well, saints are... That's a foreign concept to me. I mean, sometimes we hear of things like saints, like, like my name is Saint Gail Rubel. Now, I'm no longer here, but I'm Saint Gail Rubel. And if you bought one of Gail Rubel's, like one of his little statue figures and you place it on the dash of your car, your car will always start, Right? And I'm not trying to bash, don't hear me bash this, I'm just saying it's, it's real to us. I remember I was a pastor in Jackson, and we had a, we had a um, lady there that was, I mean, she was, she was a saint, she was, she was a great, great lady, but she was trying to sell her house. And she came and she told me, she said, and she came from a Catholic background, she told me, she said, you know, I bought, and I forget what saint it was, but she said, if you take this saint, if you, get, you, know, if you buy this saint and bury him in the backyard, it'll help you sell your house. And I'm like, what in the world? How do we buy that? How do we believe in that stuff? So, but when we look at it, it's hard then. That's what we're influenced by. It's hard for us to look at ourselves, and Paul says, to the saints. It's hard for us to look at that and say, well, I'm a saint. Because, let's talk about what it means to be a saint. In our world, and this is how typically the process to become a saint is, number one, you have to be Catholic, okay? Number two, you have to die. You can't even enjoy your sainthood. You've got to die first, right? So you've got to be Catholic. You have to die. And then there's going to be this local devotion to you where some, you, know, you have this local assembly kind of comes together and they knew you and they kind of give you a lot, of the, a lot of credibility and a lot of value and all these other things. And then number four, what happens is you know, that gets noted and then there's a group of individuals, as one person said, probably with a lot of pointed hats and stuff. They come and they investigate you now. They investigate your life. Hey, we heard about this person. Uh, this person, okay, he fits this criteria, this you know, check. He's, you know, he's Catholic, check. He died, check. You know, he's, he's, uh, a lot of people are talking about him, check, in a good way, check. You know? And so, the, you know, so they're investigating his life. Then they take that and, they, and it goes up the pipe. You know, it goes up to the, the powers to be. And they begin to look at it. And they begin, the local bishop begins to investigate it, you know, and see if this is, this is um, you know, this is doable or not for you to become a saint. And then what has to happen is there needs to be a post-mortem miracle take place. And that really kind of solidifies it. If there's a miracle that happens kind of in your name or whatever, then it's like, okay, we've got a saint on our hands, right? So people start praying for a post-mortem miracle to take place. And then, and then, they investigate that, and if that all validates itself, you're confirmed as a saint. That's how a saint happens. For some of us, 
We may sit in here and kind of snicker at that, but for some of us, that's how we may view a saint. I mean, not, for some of us in here, we'd, we would never describe ourselves as a saint. Because we either have this conjured up view, or some of us may say this, well, I'm not that spiritual. You know, disciples and saints, and those, those are those guys over there that just really commit all their life to that, and they're very spiritual. Guys, it's very critical that we take a look at what the Bible has to say. That's why I can't say it enough as far as us spending time in God's Word. Because the enemy is so crafty in taking that straight line, and if we just take one simple little step to the side right here, the next thing you know, we end up completely off point. This is another situation where we take it and we get completely off point. And for some of us in here that our hearts are all about loving Jesus, we still don't have a true understanding about what it means to be a saint and furthermore, what it means to have, what it means to, to have our identity in Jesus Christ. What does the Bible have to say? In Christ. Are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, which Paul says over 216 times, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. If you've accepted the free gift of grace and salvation, you felt God's Holy Spirit nudge you, and you accepted that, that, that gift of, of relationship, intimate relationship with Him, and now you're a child of God, you're a Christian, you are a saint. It's synonymous, it's the, in Christ, you are a saint. And there's going to be times where we sin, yes, we're human, but you are still a saint. Some would say, I'm not experiencing the wrath of God in my life because everything's going well. And so we would say, well, you know, I, you know I've never accepted Jesus and I'm not really experiencing the wrath of God, so I'm okay. The problem is, that future is going to unfold at some point in time. You, those of you who accepted Christ are now saint. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, you have become a new creation in Christ. That old things have passed away and all things have become new. And it's just a different way of seeing things. And it's this, it's, it's, it's so critical that if we don't understand this, then we, it's like we have a false view of the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel. It's like we have this, this misunderstanding of what it is of what it means to truly be in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the enemy doesn't want us to understand. He doesn't want us to grasp the fact that when we give our sin to Jesus, when we give our will, our complete being to Jesus, and we receive this new identity in Christ, and we start this new life in Christ, we are able to enjoy a new eternity with Jesus Christ, and it starts now. That's the problem. Some of us are so deceived, we don't get it. We don't spend time studying the Word. We don't spend time immersed in it to allow the truth to just overtake us because if we don't know the truth, we will never be set free. Some of us are always held in bondage. We have the cages. We have the shackles on. And it's like we, we, we look at the Christian life, we're like, man, this is the hardest thing ever. Which, it, I mean, I get that it's difficult at times because it goes against our humanness. But there's some of it that's almost self-imposed. Paul says you are a saint in Jesus Christ. You are in Christ to the saints. That is very critical. How do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as a sinner? Oh, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. Guys, if you have a relationship with Christ, you are a saint. I can't say it enough. The enemy doesn't want you to hear that. 
Some of you are distracted right now this morning because the enemy, that's the last thing the enemy wants you to hear because when you begin to fully understand that you are a new creation, that you are born, now you've been adopted into the family of God, that you have the power to live a different, completely different life, that as you experience the truth, the truth will set you free, that is the last thing that the enemy wants you to hear. The last, absolute last thing. Now, as we talk about a saint, here in the next few, just next few moments here, I want to share with you a couple characteristics of a saint. Number one, this whole concept of sinning in a saint, sinner in a saint, um, about sin. A saint is remorseful over sin. Okay? A saint is remorseful over sin. That doesn't mean you're never, ever, ever going to sin again. But when it happens, it literally breaks your heart. Why does it break your heart? Because you're in so love with Jesus, you're beginning to understand your identity in Christ. You begin to understand this, this, this incredible love that the Father God has extended to you through His Son, Jesus Christ, where Jesus literally took your place, where you literally did not have to die on the cross, where literally all of your wretchedness is switched with Jesus, where you've got a perfect life over here, and Jesus says, I'll give you my perfect life, you give me all your crap. You begin to understand that. And when you sin, it hurts you, it breaks you. Because you begin to understand, it's like, how could I do this? I love Jesus. I get that I'm fragile, I get that I'm going to make mistakes. But you're remorseful over it. And here's why you're remorseful, is because the Holy Spirit has freedom in your life to do His ministry. Which means the Holy Spirit comes into your life to convict you. Not condemn, but to convict. And so when you get off point, when you have an attitude that flares up, when you have a personality dysfunction take place, and you, or whatever it may be, or you, or you submit to, to this, this habit you used to have years ago, or just that you struggle with, or this, this addict, you know, this, um, addiction or whatever it is, the Spirit of God is in your life to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't who you are. And you give in to it, but you're like, you're right, this isn't me. And you cry out, you're like, God, please forgive me. Jesus, please forgive me. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation says that you're condemned. In fact, condemnation says that, well, let me say it this way. Conviction is from God, but condemnation is from Satan. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to death. Conviction ends in joy where you submit yourself back to God and you say, God, I'm sorry. God, for, please forgive me. And you're filled with joy once again because you're a child of the King. Condemnation leads to death. It leads to sorrow. It leads to despair. It leads to discouragement and all this other junk. Some of you will say, and I've heard this before, we all kind of experience this, um, you know, well, you're preaching at me. And that's one thing. That's one thing that we try not to do is preach at people because we're all in this together. But let me suggest something. Maybe we need to take a little, just really spend some time trying to discern what voice is speaking to us. Because if the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life saying, hey, this is, this is what I want you to hear. Here's a point. That's not me speaking. That's the Holy Spirit nudging you. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is off. Something is off. So instead of getting mad and, and angry and closing ourselves off, we open ourselves up and we say, Father, do what it is that you want to do in my life. I repent. And, and we're convicted. 
And then grace and peace begins to flood us once again because we begin to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. And we surrender our lives and our hearts to Jesus Christ through His Spirit. That's why at the end of every service or whenever I can, I, I, I simply am trying to tell you guys that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's revealing to you the things of God. If you squelch the ministry of the Holy Spirit within your life, you are not going to be able to know the things of God. That is His ministry. He was sent to seal our salvation to us as followers of Him, as saints of Him. But as we, as we live in harmony with His Spirit, the Spirit begins to reveal things to us for God. He gives us the power. He convicts us. He leads us into righteousness. He gives us wisdom. He enables us to make decisions that are, that are God decisions because we're relying upon Him and not our own reasoning which the Bible talks very clearly about when we rely upon our own reasoning. So as a saint, we are very convicted and remorseful for our sins. We don't like it. We want it away from us. We want it out because, we're, because it hurts us. A saint is powerful over sin. A saint is powerful over sin. He says to the saints. He's talking to the believers. To the saints. You have power. If you submit your lives to the Holy Spirit, if you surrender and you live in that, that state of contriteness and humbleness, you have power. You've been given power, the same power as the Word of God teaches, that, or Paul even talks about, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives inside of you. So we have the power to live in this new identity. We have the power to be able to, to live a life that, 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 is, that, that brings life, that, that, that releases that bondage, and the cage begins to drop. The last question I want to end with is this. How is your faithfulness? Are you living out of what you've been called to as a saint? How is your faithfulness? Here at Element, and you learn this in e-groups, if you haven't been through e-groups, this is what we talk about. And to me, this is what this, it kind of brings this whole picture of faithfulness to, to a little bit something more tangible that, that we can get a hold of and we can help people grow in. In our e-groups, we talk about an E3 Christ follower. And we believe an E3 Christ follower, E3 means element church, an E3 Christ follower is kind of like, if I could use this term and it sounds very crude, but it's kind of like the product that we're trying to create, right? I, I know it sounds crude, but it's that, it's that thing that we're saying, if we can help people become an, a, a fully developed E3 Christ follower, this is what that person would look like. This is what we believe a saint would look like, someone that is growing in their walk. Uh, we use Encounter Express Engage, and we use five eyes to describe that, and just Follow along with me. The first one, encounter, is we have this interest in God. We have this interest in coming on the weekends and worshiping God co corporately together where we're in here on the weekends and it's not about us. It's about God. We come in and we're saying, you know what? I don't want to be reminded of me. I don't want to be reminded of my preferences and all these things. I want to be in the honest of God. I want to walk in here and forget about everything else around me because that stuff just weighs me down. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to experience God corporately together as we raise and lift our voices, as we submit ourselves to God. Interest. Is there an interest there to lifting God up to, 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 to loving Him? The next thing is we express, as we encounter God's love through our worship, we express that back to Him through that peace express. And there's three eyes in that. We try to imitate Jesus. And this is the stuff that we try to do as a church. We're trying to put in place like discussion groups, like women's retreats, like wounded. 
like other things that we do, like sermon series, all this stuff, we're trying to help people to become this. Can we imitate Christ? Because we believe that's what we've been called to do as saints, to imitate Christ. In order to imitate Christ, I need to study about Him. I need to understand what He did. I need to understand and have help in living this life out. And so we plug into different things where we can journey with one another. And we, and we, and we try to learn more about this and, and, and get help to, so that we, our lives can imitate Christ. Are we involved is another I. Involved means that we know that we've been gifted, that we have gifts and talents and passions that God gave us, not for us, but for Him. So that we can go and we can use our giftedness to bring Him glory. We can use it in the context of the church, and we can use it in the context of other of, of other situations too. And then the other one in that this piece would be invest. Are we investing financially? Are we committing ourselves to the ministry of 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 God? Are we are we have we acknowledged? That's why when we talk about tithes and offerings, that's why when we do an offering, we're simply saying this is another way of demonstrating our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and trying to help people understand. You know what? Everything we have is God's. Period. He's only asking ten percent of it back. We view a tithe as ten percent. Are we tithe, are we faithful with our money? It's not our money. And that's usually one of the last things to ever go is, is that control, that tightness of our, of our wallets where it's like, well, I don't know how things are going to work out. I need to do all these things. But it's when we say, you know what, God, I'm going to do what I can do, but I, I'm, I'm trusting You completely. And that's when we do that. That's when God shows up and God demonstrates Himself in a ways that just overwhelms us. And then the last one would be uh, engage. Are we inviting others to, to know Him? That doesn't mean it's part of it, inviting people to our church to be a part of our family here. But that's not the. That's not really. Are we going in our world and inviting others in this relationship with Jesus Christ? In our workplaces, where we go to school, where we whatever we do as we go about our world, are we inviting others into this relationship with Jesus Christ? We were we're all called to do that. We're all called to share that hope into a world that is dying of hope. It's not just about you really need to come to church and get saved. We're missing it. It's developing the relationship. I wonder how many of us sitting here this morning can can recall right now a couple into say two names. Two names that we truly believe that God placed these two names in our lives so that we can share at some point when He says, when He gives us that nudge, that we can share His love and His grace and His and Him with them. Can you think of two names? Do you have a couple relationships within your life that that's what it is? That is based on that? I believe that when those components are working together we're becoming very, very faithful. Because that's what God has called us to do. To worship, to imitate, to invest ourselves, to involve ourselves. Involve with our gifts and talents. Involve ourselves and invite others back to Him. Or in this relationship with Him. And so, we're called to that. We are saints. We are saints. Paul says that being born into the family of God, adopted into His family, we are saints. I want to close our service a little bit differently this morning. And what I want to do is, I'm going to invite you, it's just an opportunity, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. And don't get mad if you don't want to do it. Just don't do it. But I would like to invite all that would
to come up here to the front, and I want to close with a word of prayer. So right now, I'd just invite you all to come. You don't have to come up on stage. I'd just like for you to stand kind of like in lines. So just come on up if you want to. I would encourage everyone. If you don't want to, I don't want you to feel guilty. You're going to have to press in. That means you're going to have to get to know the person in front of you and beside you. Everybody come on in, press in. Everybody in? Okay. I want you to look around. Look around. This is our family. These are your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I want you to look around because you're looking at other saints. You're looking at someone else that Jesus gave His blood for. We make up Element Church, but we are the body of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would live in that. That truth. That unity. Look at the person next to you and say, you're going to like things that I don't like and that's okay. Go ahead, do it. It's amazing. It's amazing that we lose sight of that. You don't believe in what I believe in? I can't be your friend. You don't believe in what I believe in? Guys, we're a family. We are a family that is united in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus has invited us into His family. We are now saints. You are not sinners. You are saints. And we need to live in that identity. We need to, to give our hearts to that identity. We need to live as a church. We need to be element church as a family. We don't need to focus on what we don't have. We need to focus on what we do have, and that is Jesus Christ and how Jesus is going to move and, and use each person here for His glory. That's what it's about. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And I would ask you would just bow your heads and that you would just join with me in, in your hearts and your minds as I lift us up in prayer and close our time here. Father, I thank You for this time. I thank You for the people, the men and women standing here, for the saints, for Your children. We are Your children. And God, I pray that You would just ingrain that truth in us. Don't allow the enemy to deceive us. God, ingrain us. Enable us to understand that our identity is in You. That we are not failures. That we are not sinners. But we are children of You, of the King. God, may we live in that identity. As Element Church, may that unite us. May that bind us right now this morning. May Your love just grip us here this morning as we stand here and we pray. I pray, God, that if there are those in here that have, that, that have a relationship with You right now, God, that this might be a time where You would just come into our lives and renew that and refresh that. God, let us leave here with this sense of power and joy, knowing that we are part of Your family and that we are going to make a difference in our world for You. God, if there's maybe some standing here this morning that hasn't committed their life to you, I pray that that would happen right now so that, we could, so that they become our brother or our sister in you. 
God, let them know how much you love them and how much you want them to be a part of your family. God, we are here standing as your saints, as your children. We pray that you would bind us and use us. All for your glory. Not ours, but yours. And I ask this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.